This is Sabrine, and you are watching or listening to the Lemon Narrative with Sabrine podcast. I am a writer and this host for this podcast you guys are watching. I am very interested in people's narrative of their experiences and lives in their community. And in this uh, podcast, I made these amazing people to listen to their narrative. So today I have a friend, a very close friend. We met years back on my first undergrad and we've been, I don't know, I feel like we've been friends forever. So when I started this podcast and she found me, actually, she was like, wow, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, oh my gosh, why did I think of inviting you the first person? Because uh, I know how amazing she is and what experiences she went through. She had such, uh, she has such a rich life. And, I, and I, I know bits, what I know as a friend, but I know she will be surprising me today as well. So Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Oh, first of all, Sabrine, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm very um, delightful to be here and I'm so proud of you, of course. Um, I'm Sarah Mohedin Hassan. Um, I'm the founder of Women Leadership Sudan organization uh, that's been operating in Sudan, partly in Saudi Arabia and now relocated to United Arab Emirates. And um, also um, a TEDx speaker and a former Mandela Fellowship um, Fellow for Young African Leaders. And yeah, that's me. See, I told you, she has a rich <laughs> life. <laughs> um, for people in Canada and North America, United Arab Emirates is Dubai. Yeah, because oh, okay. people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Dubai. You know, when I, yeah, when I introduce myself, I say, oh, I, I used to live in Abu Dhabi. And everyone was like, what do you mean? I was like, Dubai. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to someone and I said, you know, I went to high school in Dubai. They said, I imagine you going to high school in Ferrari. I was like, yeah, oh, yo, it was a I'm yellow looking. school bus. It was not a Ferrari. <laughs> exactly. That's what everyone thinks. Exactly. But, you know. Uh, were we privileged? Sure, kind of. It was a, like a nice life, uh, but it's an average life like everyone else's life. It's not what you guys see on social media. So Sarah, in this podcast, I usually ask my guests, what would you tell me if I'm writing a feature film about you? And to start the conversation, I usually ask the question, if your life is a film, what would be the opening scene that you want the audience to see first thing? Well, um, for you to get first, before getting into that question, um, for you to know that how I became the person I am and how I'm going to like illustrate the first scene is that I was, I'm, I'm a very lucky daughter of a phenomenal parents who've been doing everything in their lives to support and to give me everything that I need to become the person I am today. And I'm also very lucky to become a wife of a husband who's doing, who's working very hard to make me the person I am today. And we've been working together in a lot of projects throughout the years back. And from that, they know the first thing is that I'm a movie-holic and a TV show addict. So your question, if I'm mm -hmm. going to start my life or a scene of my life, would be that I remember in high school that um, there was a time where I wake up and I'm like, wait, I, I want to become a great person, but mm -hmm. I don't know what I want to be. Mm -hmm. Because basically, in you know that in our cultures, I mean, as a Sudanese or even people from African Arabs, we have this certain... Um, expectations from our society and our family of what, what you're going to be when you grow up actually right mm -hmm. so I remember waking up and I'm like 
um, I got to be great. I just got, I don't know what I'm going to be, but I have to be great. So I was watching Grey's Anatomy and I was like, okay, now I get it all. My dad's a surgeon. Of course, I'm becoming, I'm becoming a doctor. Watching Grey's Anatomy and having yeah. all that scenes in, in the hospital and stuff. And at the mm -hmm. same minute after that show is over, I turned them to another show, which is NCIS or CSI. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, 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 wait, wait. I'm becoming a crime scene investigator. Yeah. I got to work in the crime scene yeah. industry. I have to, but mm -hmm. I got to become great as well. Mm -hmm. And then I switch to another channel and, and I get to watch Suits. Mm. And all the greatness that comes out of Harvey Specter, uh -uh. Yeah. I, I got to become a lawyer. <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to become. And mm -hmm. TV shows and movies had a huge influence on me at that time. Yeah, but course. the whole idea is that the scene would be me waking up, not mm -hmm. knowing what to do, opening mm -hmm. a TV show or a movie, mm -hmm. and getting me that helping me out what I want to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the first scene would be, I know that I was born to lead, but where mm -hmm. I'm going to start. I don't know what to do. You know, why I love this scene so much and it's very important is because who was the inspiration in Grey's Anatomy? Was it Meredith? How um, do, how do, who was the character that inspired you to be a doctor? Because there should be a character, right? Or like, was it the whole environment? Okay. Um, I remember uh, my father used to wear, watch ER. Okay. Oh, ER. And, so, and um, he was making gloomy. sure that because in a certain age, we're not mm -hmm. allowed to watch. I mean, those TV shows where you could see a lot of blood and there's a lot mm -hmm. of graphics. So I remember mm -hmm. that sneaking from my room and trying to watch ER with him. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when Grey's Anatomy was out there, I enjoyed getting to know new informations. And mm -hmm. when I used to watch Meredith, mm -hmm. I was like, "Wait, she's a drama queen, but also mm -hmm. she gets what she really wants." Yeah. But do I want to become Meredith? Um, I, I kind of a doubt because we're not the same character. But yeah. the whole scene of having those drama life, I mean, saving people's life, also okay. like creating drama for yourself and your friends, that was so mm. catchy. But I don't think I'll be Meredith, but maybe I'll, no. I would have added a new character to their show. This, this is where I was getting to because representation right yeah, yeah in all these shows you mentioned suits um well suits has a black woman woman right um the, the i think she was the jessica partner yeah she's yeah i don't remember names but i've watched all of these shows right yeah. in cis csi i mean we grew up watching that and i was in med school when we met right yeah. so gray's anatomy was like part of the curriculum at med school like exactly. you have to watch it and then he was like sneakily not wanting to watch it but like i loved but house more because he's sarcastic um so yeah it's I, I was getting into representation why why making films about us ordinary people is really important why i'm doing this at the at the moment exactly. is because they're they're people they're kids right now who were your age 
mm-hmm. right, in high school and so, who are looking at movies and wanting to see themselves uh, and looking for inspiration, looking for exactly. ideas. And and I know, I am pretty sure, like, life now is different. And we have also social media. We have other presence of other, like, um, multicultures, um what we call not multicultural, but I would I, I really love the inter inter um oh, intersectional uh, identities, right? Okay, yeah. Because because you and I were not just black women, we're also Arabs, we're also mm-hmm. Muslims. You know, there's a lot of identities that come into one person, and mm-hmm. it it's really hard to pick one of them, and it's really hard to see one of them represented of correctly, right? Like as a hijabi woman. Uh, the scenes that that I always see in a movie that makes me crack is when the hijab falls down and the hair is like whoosh and I'm like they just blow dry that hair there's no way absolutely no way a hair under hijab like it it has to be someone's maybe Indian hair right but the hair under hijab does not look good you guys I mean it looks as good as it can but it's been under hijab for, for full a whole day a whole day exactly a whole day under hijab and it's like you know and mm-hmm. then you're sweating under it you're, it's not that romanticizing the idea of like taking that. yeah of taking um a woman's hijab and and like having this uh jasmine princess look you know <laughs> and it always makes me like you have no idea i always laugh i always crack and i'm like uh now you're giving representing us but giving us unrealistic expectations exactly <laughs> you're hurting us right and we want so, the reality to be out there yes we yeah. deserve the reality to be out exactly. there that's why i love your scene because you're looking um for inspiration uh you're looking for identities that look like you exactly. and i remember like i i feel like my audience by now understand that i'm obsessed with hair representation but I loved Oprah so much just because her hair looks like me. I felt like uh, all the time I was thinking, ah, she's black. Look at her hair. Look, And of course, I didn't understand all the techniques and sometimes their wigs and sometimes their extensions. But I just felt, you know, look at her. She made it. Does yeah. that make sense? And I remember one time Oprah was giving a, um, a speech during um, a reward or something. And she said, I know right now there's a girl sitting in her home watching me i'm inspiring mm-hmm. her and i kid you not i felt like lights hot like a spotlight on me i'm like i'm that girl, I'm that girl. <laughs> and you're both beautiful so much you're gorgeous of course i i love this scene i want mm-hmm. to touch for first of all we're both sudanese and you yeah. are the first Sudani um person in my podcast. Oh, I am so happy. Yeah. I'm trying to reach out. I hope I hope I get more. Prayers for our Sudan and for our country and the whole continent. Prayers for everyone who's yes. been struggling and facing hard times. So we pray that our country and the nation and all the region finds peace wherever that is. Yes, yes. I'm into that. I want to touch on the fact that you were not born in Sudan, were you? Well, that's what, um, that's a question yeah. that I always face is like, where are you actually from? Where have mm. you been? Were, were you here? And of course not. I came to Sudan, you know, like for uni uh, or like a time like from high school, from like in and out. Um, I came to Sudan in my latest teens, of course. So mm-hmm. I was not, I, I come from different backgrounds from Saudi Arabia and from the United Kingdom. 
and I mm -hmm. was raised in the United Kingdom. So yeah, I was born, I was born in Saudi yeah. and moved to to the United Kingdom from an early age. Yes, so you have this mixed upbringing of very different. Uh, but like different countries, like Saudi is way different, so, especially back in the day. Back <laughs> in the day, United. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, it's still intact somehow that Saudis are still have. I mean, they didn't lose their identity or anything, but it's a different from from your times. Of course, every time is different. Of course. So the what is I I need like a clash of of. I feel like there's a clash of of uh, you know the two environment. How did it how did it help you? How did it shape your life um, or your character, right? And like, did you have this um, struggle within to fit in each? How to find the balance? I would say. Well, actually, yes, of course. Um, when I went to England, I can't remember that because I was a baby. But yeah. when I came to Saudi Arabia from England, it was really hard, first of all, because we were replaced in a city that was, it was a little town, and there was no English schools. And at mm -hmm. that time, I didn't speak Arabic at all. So mm -hmm. trying to find somebody or somebody to talk to was different. It was so difficult. I only mm -hmm. spoke with my parents and, and siblings. So mm -hmm. then I was placed at this school where it, at that time, there was no much international schools. And in that town, there were only local Saudi schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, I remember everyone laughing at me. And I could understand a few words, but I, it was mm -hmm. really hard to, to like talk. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, the culture was so different for me and so difficult. And I was trying to become um, a person where, okay, I'm adapting with the new life and I'm okay with it. But it was so, it was so hard. And everyone wanted to know more about Europe and England. And, and at that time, people were mixed, thinking that United States and the UK are the same country. Mm. Like people, a lot of people think Saudi and Dubai are the same country. So, right. yes. <laughs> people think Canada and US are the same country. Exactly. Like when they talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So people are asking me about New York and stuff. And I'm like, no, wait, we're in Europe, not in the States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was really hard. And then uh, the moment I was okay with living in Saudi Arabia and getting to know the culture, then mm -hmm. we went to Sudan. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I mean, what, this, uh, like, can you give me eight? Like the time you went to Saudi, how old were you? Like 10 or so? Okay. The first time I went to Saudi, I was 10 years old. Okay. Okay. And then the first time I went to, uh, it was Sudan. a family visit to Sudan. I guess I was in, um, I think I was 11, but that time it was just, it was just for like a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. It's a but summer couple, break. Yeah. It's a summer. Yeah. It's a summer thingy. But when I came to move to, to Sudan, of course, it was it was so hard for me. Like I was like, because, you know, because you know, doctors' lives. Like my dad moves mm -hmm. from one job to another. Like for, mm -hmm. I have like zillions of schools that I've been enrolled to, mm -hmm. so I, I moved a lot. And that's mm -hmm. as it's a very rich experience. It's so hard because mm -hmm. then you don't know who you are or where you fit. Mm -hmm. And life becomes so tough and so hard and expectations become so different. And, and the way that the upbringing, like it just changes every now and then. So it was really hard. But the, but the best time was, uh, oh, the best thing that happened is that my, my parents mm. tried to keep all the cultures in me together. Like when I came to Saudi Arabia, they made sure that I was still getting my English education at home. Mm. 
They were mm-hmm. still giving me activities that would make me, um, so I don't, I don't lose my English. I don't lose everything that I've learned from England. When I came to Sudan, I was still in contact with things in Saudi Arabia because they knew that uh, children or, I mean, teenagers, they get swift in life so easily that they forget mm-hmm. what they've done before. Yes. So my parents yes. wanted me to get the use of all the cultures together, but it's mm-hmm. not easy. It's not no. easy, of course. No. <laughs> I, I love what your parents did. Um, they didn't just throw you and we were like, adapt. <laughs> so, now it's your you know, it, it is, it is like, it's, it's both when you find the support, you, it's, I don't know if it's easily easier because I, I don't know. I can't compare, but I feel like it does help. Of course. Right? It does help when you have support at home and instead of coming to someone who does not understand or who's not willing. Like who wants you, yeah, because it's hard. You were saying like you didn't understand people at 10 years old, like you didn't have friends. How long it took you to, to understand them, to, to learn the language, I guess. Um, I think, I think one of the, one of the bad stuff that I faced and also it was a good stuff because I, uh, the, the thing is that my teachers were not that much supportive. Like, yes. um, they used to give me things to memorize. And then when I come to school with this accent, this weird accent, Arabic accent, where I, I just don't sound Arab or African and mm-hmm. they would be like, go and do this or yeah. you uh, or, or go and call your mom. And I'm like, what yeah. did I do wrong? Yeah. I, I don't understand. And wait, wait, because I'm not from here. I'm from England. So basically I speak English and there's no English schools. And mm-hmm. I tried to I explain myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, that, was, that was a struggle. But at the same time, what helped was, was my peers at school themselves. They were so happy having this English student with yeah. them, new culture. And, mm-hmm. and they were in a, it was kind of like a cultural shock for them too because I used to bring these um, photographs to school, showing them the places we have in England. And they'd be yeah. like, oh my God, you're, wear, you're allowed to not to wear abaya and you're mm-hmm. old enough? I'm like, we don't wear abaya in the UK. And and mm. in Saudi Arabia, I used to at that that time it was a it was Mandatory. a place called Al Qasim, and Al Qasim yeah, is, is very known in Saudi Arabia, one of the strictest, I mean, cities in the whole mm. region. So mm. where everything is forbidden, actually everything. But now it's different, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was trying to I was trying to learn the language and learn the culture, and they were very helpful. But only the teachers who's mm. supposed to be the the leaders and taking this and making the students be okay and adapted to the new environment, they were giving me the hard time. Yes. Yes. So yes, that um, was the trouble. It's, it's, it's very, this is um, really important because I, I faced this when I went to, to UAE guys, Dubai, we're going to refer to Dubai as UAE. <laughs> okay. For the time being. So when I, I, I moved to UAE, um, I was, I was like in grade nine. I went into grade nine and I actually skipped grade eight and went to nine, you know? So the, my problem was the teacher. Well, well, of course there's, I, I spoke Arabic, but there was accent difference and I did not understand uh Khariji accent at that time. And I did not understand all the teachers, what they were saying, because uh, some of them were from UAE. Others were, I did understood uh, the, uh, the Egyptian language because of, um, 
uh, accent or dialect because of shows that I've been watching. But there are others who were from Syria or like Palestine or other places. I couldn't understand their accent. I didn't know what the teacher wants from me. And I can only imagine for someone who's not, <laughs> it's not accents or dialect, it is a full language that you're trying to adapt to everything. <laughs> and they don't have a special um, plan for you. And this is this is what I noticed when I came to Canada that newcomers who come to Canada have something called ESL, um, and then you are you are put with the with the other kids in in the school subjects, but you are known that you are an ESL student, and the teacher know how to support you and try their best, yeah. and they have contact with the parents. So I think um, what we need to do, or like I don't know if it is applied now, but what who, should have happened is you um the teacher had been told that you don't speak the language and how they can support you and instead of coming from a place of judgment and let's get the job done right exactly. mm -hmm. because at the end of the day their employee is doing their job right yeah Uh, so instead of like having some, some empathy towards you, they made it harder for you. And that's exactly what I went through because um, they, I mean, you were in grade 10. I was in grade, uh, sorry, you were 10 years old. I was in grade nine. So 13, 13 years old. And, um, and in grade nine, because I skipped. So everyone else was older than me and yeah. they had more experience with the, the curriculum is very different. The expectations are different. You know, when I, when I used to like ask or like not do something, it's not because I don't want to do it. It's because I didn't know what they exactly. wanted from me. Mm -hmm. And, and that's exactly what you went through. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of providing support, they came from a place where, why are you not doing your job as a student? Mm -hmm. What, what was needed is a collaboration, some sort it's of like yeah. group job or something like something exactly. like Exactly. Because basically we're not robots. We were children at that time. Yeah, children, of course. Yeah, they were children. And this is what <laughs> we go to school to learn, not to exactly. do the assignments and get the grades. And I think that's something in a previous school environment is was was neglected. Mm -hmm. It was more about the competition for the grades and how much, how many like, you know, your ranking in class and stuff like that. Instead of exactly. having the information and mm -hmm. enjoying the knowledge, you know. We, I think, I feel like our generation had the same experience. <laughs> we just, I think we all did. Yes, yes. What do you think, looking back, were um, kind of advantages and disadvantages in, in um, this traveling and changing of school? And right now you have like three different cultures that you were put into, uh, United Kingdom and Saudi, and then you came to Sudan. And those are way like opposite cultures. And people think, okay, Sudan, uh, Saudi, Muslim countries, but no. Um, different. Sudanese people are different than of Saudi course. people. Uh, and we're not saying who's better. We're just th saying they're different. Stating the differences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? Uh, something that you look back and you're grateful for and something you wish that uh, it could have been uh, better. I mean, in terms of you, um, how would I say this? Uh, shaping your personality and identity mm -hmm. at the moment. 
Well, I think that it's it's a it's a huge advantage because basically then you have a wider perspective of everything. Because mm-hmm. when you get the knowledge from the UK and from the um, from I was going to say the US, I did <laughs> I did have an experience in the US, of course, of course but it wasn't yeah. that long. Uh, from the UK, from Saudi, from Sudan. So when you have um, all those experiences, then you have mm-hmm. a wider perspective. You get mm-hmm. to understand people way better. You get mm-hmm. to adapt to the change because life life is not a in one line because mm-hmm. if it's a one rate or one line that means you're dead mm-hmm. so it's not it's not something that goes just with, with one flow so when you're when you're when you're put out there exposed to all those cultures it means that you learn stuff even if you don't know that you've learned them mm. you face challenges mm. even if you thought that oh my god that's too much for me but it's not because that's god's plan God puts you through plans and struggles and stuff that you may think that you can't. But if you look back, you mm-hmm. did a great job. And yep. yes, God <laughs> put you there for a reason. And mm-hmm. we we should be very, very thankful that our parents did a hard job moving from one city to another to give you a better life. Mm-hmm. Even if things went wrong, but there, this was the first thing for them is that I want to give my kids a better education, a better health, and what, whatever their plan is. But they've mm-hmm. worked hard for you. So not everyone has a chance to be out there. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard. I mean, moving from one place to another, it's not easy. But that's how good things come. Good things mm-hmm. doesn't come if you're in the same place. I don't mm-hmm. mean staying in the same city doesn't make you great. No, but the comfort zone thing. So mm-hmm. our families had to get out of their comfort zone to raise children in a lot of places. And who knows that maybe we get to do the same thing with our, with our children in the future is that Mm -hmm. we may need to move from one city to another, one continent to another. So that's moving out of the comfort zone. And as much as it's very positive, it sometimes becomes very negative. If there's not that good attachment between the child or the teenager with the community. So if you're from Sudan, going to the UK, deciding not to deal with any any British or any English people just with your Sudanese local people, then basically you didn't do anything. I'd rather just stay in Sudan. So that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the, that's the advantages. Um, mm-hmm. Even staying in one place has its uh, negative stuff. So I think that trying to find your ways out of, the different situations, what helps the most, I think, because now, I mean, not a lot of people move around in, I mean, in way back, but now everyone moves. I mean, a mm. lot of people are just raised in zillions of countries and zillions of cities and, and mm. have been enrolled to zillions of schools. So mm. as, as I think that's just, um, one of the privileged, privileged things that everyone should be happy about. It's not easy mentioning again, it's not easy. But it's still a good opportunity for you. New culture, new um, new ways of learning stuff. Yeah, and new ways of adapting to change. Um, even I agree with every word. <laughs> I have so much things to say, <laughs> right? But I want to focus on you. But I have to reflect here. Um, the I, I even though people nowadays are moving, but moving now from one place is different. Of course, the 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 people, the culture now in every country is used to having foreigners in. Mm-hmm. 
and the foreigners mm-hmm. become part of the culture and part of, of the community course. in each place they go to right like yeah. when when in sudan we had before what's happening in sudan right now and we will touch on this on this episode i, I know you and i will be talking about this because it's an important thing to be talking of about course. so um when we had when syria uh was still in war we had refugees from syria in in sudan who came and brought culture right they brought culture they brought their business and they became part of the community right they even married into sudanese and this is what happens what happens in every place where you find um not just refugees immigrants it's how how life works right mm-hmm. but i think nowadays people are more accustomed to it than mm-hmm. in our days and we guys talking 90s uh, and even i know the 90s are better than the 80s and the 80s are better than the 70s but we we're still going to touch on what are the things we went through because it's important of for you know life evolvement and i liked um uh, it's a privilege it is a privilege mm-hmm. and and when i was a child i didn't understand why it is a privilege right i was like okay but i need to adapt and i remember like my movements were were not as um, as uh, like it was young age i have a similar story but not the same of course i love what you say about when you stay in your own tribe when you travel right because i remember my friend um it was like a year ago or so asked me about the sudanese people who live in canada i said i and it's, it's not not something i'm proud of but i said i frankly don't know many nice. um, because i did not come seeking to know them yes. while i love meeting them i love meeting sure. them in i love meeting them and and planned meetings like i'm exactly. i'm in a place and i find someone who's successful blah, blah, blah. and so i'm like oh my gosh oh my oh, it happened to me mm-hmm. it happened to me at university where i met a prof who was sudani right oh, okay. i i love i love that but mm. if i stayed within the same uh i don't know what to call it the same like you know um culture the yeah, same people the same language i want i want my accent to be better i want when i come to canada i want to to know how the system is working the education mm-hmm. is working how is everything i wanted to know as many people as possible i want to, i wanted to meet people taste their food and know their culture you know because i know my culture exactly i know and where i'm coming others. from so i want to bring my people and sudan to people and 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 them you know what i mean i it's of not course. that i want to be the whole representation of sudan or anything i'm not that selfish you know <laughs> i'm just like one pretty tiny person from a whole a whole community and, and country but it that was how i looked at it right mm-hmm. how I, that i want the experience from different people and from the country i am in and um mm-hmm. unfortunately not a lot of people understand that and you yeah. called trader and stuff like that comfort zone <laughs> no, that that's yeah. people who stick so tight to the comfort zone exactly yeah yeah and that's why i loved how you touched on this so people who are traveling uh to know what to seek and it's, it's you know when you are into uh, in a new country or um you know culture um it's like navigating the space you're in if you moved into a new city you're driving around to know where's the market at where to get your groceries where mm-hmm. to do this where to it's the same thing there's no difference exactly right? mm-hmm. yeah and i and i love that i love i love the change in i love that we were privileged to have this at such young age and um also <laughs> uh i think something that i realized after i grew up 
is that I'll be in a situation. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. I'll be with friends who like this is their first time moving from their country, and something will happen, and I'll say, "Oh, it's because of this and that." And they're like, "How? How did you know?" <laughs> and in my <laughs> in my head, I don't know how I did. Because... It's just because you because I went through this before, right? <laughs> so. It, it it does not cause me cultural shock. I don't get angry at people for doing no, no, no. things. You become more accepting. Of course, yes. Yeah, you become more accepting, and that's that's a, like it's. I don't know how to explain it to people. When you become more accepting, you are more relaxed in life. Of course, of course, yes, and you adapt to other people's way of thinking, not just yours. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. Okay. So let's go back to your movie. I did it. I did it to reflect so much what you say, but uh, I kept it to and these I'm two really points. And I'm really enjoying your point of view. Like uh, this you. really got me also thinking, uh, thinking of stuff in a wider angle. So yes, yes, I mean, yes. That, that's why we're doing this <laughs> to show people. Like because I know um, when I when I go sometimes back in Sudan, uh, like something really very Sudani. It's not very Sudani, but it's in it's in I think Sudan, Egypt, and a couple of places is that they drink milk with tea, uh, tea with milk mm-hmm. in the morning and at sunset, right? Especially yeah. in Sudan, right? Mm-hmm. And I am allergic. Uh, I have uh, lactose intolerance, and I don't like the taste of milk. I I ne- I love tea as it is. Like I was just drinking my tea, and it's just black tea, right? I never add anything, not even sugar to my tea since I was a kid. And it was like a problem with me and my grandmother, Haboba, is that I'm I don't have milk in my tea. I don't I don't like it and mm-hmm. it upset my stomach. So at home they accept me, right? But like and then I got used to it because I, I spent uh from grade one to grade seven in Sudan mm-hmm. and then I moved and then I came back to university. But then when I came back, when I met people in the community, when I go to visit, like family visit and such. And it's always around sunset time, and they're offering tea and cake, <laughs> and it's usually sweets. And I, I don't eat sweets too. I don't enjoy it, right? It's not that I can, I can from like a point of being polite, I can take the cake, right? Because it's not gonna hurt me. But the milk and tea thing situation, I cannot, I can't even have. It. So everyone it's is like, ah. Yeah, you were you were raised here, you know. You don't drink our tea. How do you take it then? And I'm like, you guys, it's not it's not about that. It's not how to make it. It's about the whole t- it's whole milk thing here. <laughs> yes, it's like mm-hmm. how do you take it? And I'm like, it's just black tea. And in Sudan we call black tea red tea. And I had a conversation with uh with a with someone from Poland who learned the art of tea in China. Mm-hmm. And actually in China it's called red tea. Do you know oh, okay. So it's not just us. It's not just us. Okay. So I was like, I was like, oh, wow. I said, it's just black tea. And she said, in China, it's called red tea. And I was like, oh, we don't call it red tea. How we did we get Look at this connection. It's amazing. Exactly. So I would just say red tea, no sugar. And everyone no. would just like, what's wrong with her? You yeah. know? And, and, and that what's wrong with her comes from the judgment of that you weren't raised here. If you were raised here, you probably. But the truth is, is I spent my first seven years in Sudan growing mm-hmm. up when I was on. So, you know, so um, I love, uh, this is why this conversation is important to, um, I don't know, to affirm, to validate our Sudanese identity because we have it. We just present it differently. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't, pre- like a woman, 
or a person, not just a woman is more, I feel like when I say a woman, because we face more challenges as Muslim women and Sudani women and Arab women, African women, all these intersectional identities we have <laughs> carry so much, uh, I wouldn't call it burden, but I would call it challenges, right? And we're mm-hmm. capable of, of um, taking care of them, but still we need to address them. So I feel like those conversations, especially with someone like you who had some sort of similar experience as mine, is a way to validate those identities. Mm-hmm. It, it is not like I remember talking to people in Arabic and people like two days, I kid you not, last week, I met someone at the family. My family doctor is Sudani. Okay. He is Christian Sudani. Look, okay. look, I don't, I don't know if anyone knows that. I didn't know and that I, myself. See? So he is <laughs> Sudani and Christian, right? Okay. And the people at the office where um, they spoke Sudani, but I, I, they were Christian, I think. They're Egyptian, and they were raised in Sudan, though. Then they moved to Egypt, right? And when we're talking, they were like, your, your language, your, your accent, the Sudanese uh, Arabic, is like intact. Like, how did you keep that, <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, I was raised there. But then when I talk to people in Sudan, one of my friends said, I feel like we are sitting in Sugal Arabi when I'm talking to you. <laughs> How do you live in Canada and you still have that? People expect me to speak in a certain way and I don't present it. And they're like, "How? why aren't you speaking in a certain way? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, um, you're familiar with that, that girls who were grew up in a certain um not just girls, in general Sudanese who you will have a different Sudanese accent, but I don't have that one. Yeah. Right. And people are like, why don't you have it? It it became like a status. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't I didn't like that uh, when I was in Sudan because I felt like um, you're treating it like um, what is the word? It's kind of su- kind of super superficial, superficial, superficial mm-hmm. status like a, a, like it's, 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 it felt like a brand. Of course. Mm hmm. And like as if you're carrying a Gucci bag. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, yes. Please touch on that. How do you feel about that? Oh, like, seriously, it's like, um, it's when you're trying to become polite, but at the same time, not to, not to touch everyone's expectations and be like, okay, I could be re- really fitting your expectations. But at the same time, I am not a cocky person because I come from outside. You, I mean, I think the idea of maybe anyone coming from abroad, they're going to eat certain food, they drink mm-hmm. certain drinks, they, they speak certain language. And even as you said, if we spoke Sudanese, you have to speak in a certain way or... Mm-hmm. Basically, you're not Sudanese enough. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all the kids who have been raised outside have faced this. Uh, me mm-hmm. personally, I like the I like the the tea thing, the tea example, mm-hmm. uh, and drinking the milk. This happened to me just last week. Um, I visited a Sudanese family here in the mm-hmm. UAE, and when it was time to, to drink some stuff, I said I want coffee. So she offered me coffee, and I really loved the coffee. And, and then she was like, okay, I'm going to give you um, shag with yeah. honey or yeah, yeah. tea <laughs> yeah. with milk. And I was like, I can't because my stomach doesn't 
allowed any kind of any type of milk and she's like okay okay i'll just give you half a cup and i was like that's so generous of you but that half of cup can really upset my it's going so to ruin hard. my life at night today <laughs> exactly so i can't and then um At the same time, when I was with her, I remembered an incident in Sudan when I said, I don't want the tea. And our neighbor got mad. Oh, yeah, they do. She said, are you because because are you from Saudi? You don't want to drink my tea? And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's just about my stomach. And I know my stomach doesn't act very well. But well, you know what? Today you're going to win the prize and I'm going to drink the milk. Yeah. Just for you. Yes. So I did drink the milk and uh, I felt that, why am I doing this? If I'm going to become polite to everyone and, and meeting everyone's expectations, then mm -hmm. they're not getting out of their comfort zone to ex to accept other people's uh, mm -hmm. background and other people's lives. I don't mm -hmm. have to become a certain Sudanese to become Sudanese. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to speak even Arabic to become mm -hmm. a Sudanese. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of Sudanese who haven't even seen Sudan. Yeah. Right? They don't speak yeah. Arabic. Even they, They're not even exposed to the Islamic uh, religion. So one they're of the things, Muslim. like, it's, it's, it's not my problem that I'm not from Sudan. Oh, I don't live in Sudan. The problem is that when you think that you have the right to judge other people according mm -hmm. where they come from. Mm-hmm or the religion, or how they look, or how they speak, because I think that's what we did. I mean, every time, uh, I know everyone's familiar with this, when you go to Sudan, and then people asking you, oh, can you talk um, Saudi? Can you talk English? Can you talk uh, this? And they're not, they're not, they don't want to learn, but they want to laugh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. think that Uh, because and that from an early age when you when you find someone coming from a different environment and you laugh when you become older then you'll be okay by judging other people because it mm -hmm. always starts from an early age mm. yes. that's why i tell parents and, and and mothers out there if you see your child laughing at anyone's street anyone's uh, culture tell mm -hmm. them that this person is different from you but at the same time You're all one because if you're okay with your child laughing today and trying to ask another individual about something about their culture or their tribe, and now you, you're okay with him laughing tomorrow, that's where the judgmental starts. Mm -hmm. And that's what we face as Sudanese. It's not that we're facing this from other cultures. We're facing this from the same family. Within, yeah. Within the family. So, yeah, yeah so that's... <laughs> That's re it only starts with a cup of tea and milk and then ends up somewhere else. <laughs> it is so funny uh, that I, it just made me realize um, when you said you drank it, I used to drink the milk and tea, the tea that has milk. Okay. And it's very, you know, let, let's face it. It's, um, I know Indians have it too. It's called yeah. Karak, I believe. And nowadays in UAE and, and, yeah. and Saudi is very popular. And it's uh, um, here in Canada, it's called chai latte, which is very, uh, no, chai tea, tea chai. chai I don't know, Hassan Minaj has a, has a, a joke about it. They're like, why do you call it tea tea? It's not chai tea. It's, it's just chai. Chai is tea. <laughs> And chai actually is the Arabic uh, word for word. tea. It's shai with yeah. uh, sha, right? So um, I, I just made me realize that I drank lots of those cups to, to, to just 
get away from the away whole thing that. you're not Sudanese enough mm-hmm. I just feel like who gave you the authority to to um to identify who I am and give it to a child you know because mm-hmm. if now an adult talks to me adult to adult I'll be able to like have the conversation of course. uh either de- well I have the choice to debunk whatever they have about me but as a child you are you are more of a receiver of a lot of, of views and opinion like there's a few children who would speak up to themselves but in our community is speaking back to an adult um you're just going to get more uh, backlashes for being That's the child hard. who was not raised in the community. Mm-hmm. Hence, you're, um, you know, there's a crossing lot of words. Yeah, you're crossing the line because, you know, for your case, you'd be told, oh, you know, you lived in the United Kingdom, you had so much freedom. Of right, course. and all of this fact that you didn't live in a in a Muslim country, you're not Muslim. There's also if you don't live in a Muslim country, you're not Muslim enough. Right, because mm-hmm. I I did have this conversation with a friend, and we we're talking about something really. It's it's not that minor, but it, we were like had slightly different opinion on an Islamic matter, and her her debunking my method. She say she said, "Well, we I live in a Muslim country." I was like, "Well, well." <laughs> First of all, let me tell you. Well, to be honest, I didn't go there. I just okay. let it go because it was too much. <laughs> too much intake. It it was not worth it, to be honest. Yes. I would have lost the friendship over that. Choosing the right battle. Yeah, choosing the mm. right battle, especially in those sensitive um, mm-hmm. things. Um, I oh, This conversation is really important to me. Okay, let's touch on on religion in that matter. How did... How did you navigate it living between two places, like many places? Because Saudi religion, religious um, practices are, are not similar. Like I, I, I didn't live in Saudi. I visited for Umrah when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. But I knew Saudi through you guys when I met yeah. you. Um, through my friends when I was in, in Dubai. And, um, you know, later on in life, I encountered mm-hmm. a lot of Saudi people, of course. But and then this and this is a very important conversation because the religion in Sudan, the manifestation of religion is different. Of course, mm-hmm. right? Even in like curriculum, um, you have more things to study, mm-hmm. right? Comparing to Sudan, how how was that? How did it affect your perception of religion? Because you know, um, growing up, like you are taught how to pray, how to do things, what's halal, what's haram. So halal for English speaker is permitted, haram is not permitted or prohibited in the religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, for example, the people in North America continent are familiar with halal meat. Of so course. the word halal meat is permitted meat in halal Islamic way. So how did the navigation of that and, and associating your identity as a Muslim person with everything well, around you. Um, uh, the, the, one of the uh, good things that when I was in, back in the UK in my school, although my school is um, Christian, Catholic Christian school, the because I was enrolled at that school for like several years, the principal uh, went and hired an, 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 a Muslim Indian uh, f- to teach me uh, some of my 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 Islamic religion. 
um, and that really helped so much. Like that, that, that move was just uh, a very great move when, when you hire an Islamic teacher for that mm-hmm. Islamic student. Uh, and you were the only one? And yes, at that time I was the only one. And mm-hmm. um, even my siblings, they were in a different school, but, and that was, that was a really great move. I, I still remember that. Mm-hmm. And at home, my mom and dad tried to, um, give us like more time knowing the Quran, mm-hmm. um, also taking us to the mosque and, and, and every Friday after school mm-hmm. sometimes, because I mean, in the morning it would be hard because where everyone's at their school, but in, I mean, the afternoon and, and also trying to be exposed to Islamic uh, books, mm-hmm. um, events, I mean, in different places in England. And then when we came, when we came to Saudi, I felt that's a new religion mm-hmm. because Everything then is different. I, I, as I told you, I moved to a place called Al Qasim, which everything yeah. was so strict. So from the airport, uh, I saw that me, I was ten years old, but then I was not allowed to move around with no abaya. So mm. I wasn't understanding why. Mm. And although I, being honest, at that time I was, I wasn't um, wearing any hijab, of course. You were in. So, you were. You didn't have to at that age. Uh, yes, at that that age. So yeah. when I came to Saudi, I know that I have to 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 go around the market to go to school. Mm-hmm. I had to. So I was asking my mom, uh, "Why do I have to wear abaya?" And then she was like, "Well, um, this is the part of what what really the Islamic religion states." She was telling me the the ayat of the Quran and what is really what is really being said in the Quran and what is cultural traits so that I don't get mixed up by culture and oh by the, the real religion. Yes. 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 Could is so, your mom, girl. So that, that, that was important because I was receiving things from my teacher in England. I was receiving things from the school in Saudi and I was receiving things from family when I, when I go to, when I go to Sudan for the summer vacation. So as a child, it's really hard to really understand the religion if you're if you're like taking from all those people trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I remember my mom always tells people about this till this minute and it really got her into tears that I have a mushaf and I have a Quran where I underline the words or the phrases and I instead of it's it's in Arabic of course so mm-hmm. I don't translate it but I write how it sounds like Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, I write it the B I S M, and and then one day she opens it and she sees this and she cries, and she's like, oh my God, my daughter's really working hard to read Quran in the right way. So mm-hmm. for her that was okay because she wants to learn about her religion. Mm-hmm. So she didn't push things so hard for me, but at the same time when I moved from Saudi to Sudan. I had to like memorize a lot of surah min al-Quran mm-hmm. that it was really hard for me. Yes. And the teacher it for, didn't... It was hard for me and I spoke exactly. the language. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And the teacher didn't care about if you even knew what that ayah meant. You just have to memorize it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm... T- that's, that, that's the problem when you memorize stuff and you don't understand stuff. Because the main purpose is to know your religion. Not to memorize it. Not to memorize things. Because I could memorize other books. Mm. Right? So yeah. when I'm learning 
um, religion, and I'm telling people, especially when we now nowadays we have a lot of people converting to Islam. So mm-hmm. when we have converts in our lives, instead of focusing on let them memorizing it, let's teach it. Mm-hmm. And let them observe those ayat in a very simple way, so they could understand. Because when you understand, then you function. Yes, yes. But you can't function uh, if yes. you're memorizing stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know how to agree more. <laughs> so that's, that's, I think that's the problem that happened to me is that um, not knowing what's right and what's wrong, but having my parents back. That was the, that's the main thing because they were trying not, especially even in our extended family, everyone's telling you their opinion. And sometimes it's just an opinion. It's not really yeah, what they're really not. said. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And yeah, yeah. finish your sentence. <laughs> so, so, so people should um, try to differentiate between what their religion says and what you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because people are coming up with their own. They are. It's very interesting to this day, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you know, I was I was uh, watching one of those debates where a guy was like, "In Islam, it says to kill a woman um, if she had." Uh, it was something I don't remember what he says actually, but it it was about if a woman had sex, I think, with three men. But the ayat he was referring to were. Um, were not those ones. He no. was referring to ones about um, the head or what's called punishment for mm-hmm. for adultery. Okay. Not even for women. It, it, the ayah <laughs> responds to any person who does any adultery in a, in, in a marriage, male or female, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's even in a marriage, not even before marriage. So he not took even. this, the context of everything to something else. And I think the reason and I and I don't blame anyone who doesn't speak the language uh, of Quran and who is influenced by being by this by media because after nine eleven everything changed for us and uh, you know and I I don't want to call it brainwashing but it is actually it is right mm-hmm. and as a, as a Muslim who lives in Canada I feel like a teacher all the time. Like I was just talking to a brand designer who told me who's a woman wearing hijab, uh, married with kids, who told me that someone said, This is my first time seeing a Muslim woman wearing hijab is a brand designer. I was like, see? Mm. Like because they think they have those things in the that's why we need to be more visibly uh out there for of people course. to know about us, right? And and I don't want to make it a responsibility for each woman and, and man who's, who are Muslims to do that, but at least we can do our best, right? Because it's not an easy thing to put yourself out there and there's a lot of uh, mixed opinions and hate, of course, you could be targeted. But I, what I love about what you said is, is the differentiation between uh, culture and religion, right? Because some things are actually more attributed to the culture we live in mm-hmm. right and i when i like when i moved to uae and i know uae and and saudi are close to each other and they they share a lot of um values in that in that region yeah right a lot of things were like what are you guys talking about because uh they would say this is in the religion and i'm like but i no, we don't follow it back in Sudan, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to Sudan and there are a lot of things that are not actually, it's actually against the religion. People are doing it. Exactly. Because, because it's culture, 
right? And dare you stand up to those as as a, as a person who who came? They're like, who do you think you are? Again, you're crossing that line as someone mm-hmm. who wasn't raised there, and and you you you're going to be called uncultured, of course, because mm-hmm. you call the culture wrong, right? Yeah. So and it's not an easy position, but I I love how I love the navigation you went through, and and the, again we come to the. To, to the role of your parents and like at this point i'm in love with them, your parents your mom especially mm-hmm. for this uh for this you know she worked hard uh on that and i i think she led by example otherwise you wouldn't have because as children we look at examples more mm-hmm. and i love that she also what i'm thinking in my mind that she supported you when when the relatives were saying things right um I'm just that guessing. Really, that was a really hard job for them. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Okay. So let, let's recap your, your film so far. Okay. Because I have so many ideas. <laughs> so you started by you. By the way, when you w- woke up that night uh, looking at the channels, how old were you and where were you? Um, it started actually, um, I was in Saudi Arabia. Okay. So and the, the pressure... I felt the pressure is that I knew that I could give something to the world, but I didn't know what, what that was. Mm. And I also had the responsibility of my father working so hard for me in, in terms of the language. Like mm. I remember since I was in third grade, mm. um, he used to give me books. At that time, I didn't understand his move, but now I know what that move was, that he mm. used to give me books. And I have to like give him a summary of that book every weekend. Mm. For me, that was a pressure for someone who's like a 10-year-old or 9-year-old. And I didn't know why would I do that. So Mm. I knew that in terms for him is that I don't lose my vocabulary and I don't uh, lose my English. Mm. So when I woke up, I mean, in the days... I thought of why did my dad make me do such thing? He wanted me to become a better person. And for Mm. me to become a better person, it means I have to become a leader in what I do. Mm. And becoming a leader, I I have this hashtag that works in, that goes in my organization called Born to Lead. And Mm. what I mean is not becoming a leader to somebody else. It starts with you. And the first thing, the first thing that I really like to point out to people in this culture or in the environment we live in today, especially here in the Middle East or Africa, is that I know we've been going through a lot of challenges and Mm -hmm. we've been going through a lot of events, Mm -hmm. but you start to become a leader the minute you take Mm -hmm. yourself out of that victim mindset. mindset. Yes, yes. Because... Basically, we're always trying to find excuses for not doing stuff. We're Mm -hmm. always trying to make people think that we're the victims. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to make ourselves think that we're the victims and whatever Mm -hmm. happens, it's not Mm -hmm. in our hand. But the minute you take responsibility and become accountable of everything that happens, here's when life changes to the better. Yes, yes, yes. I think everyone needs to hear that. Uh, The victim mindset change, change you. Um, everyone in their life uh, went through some unfair injustice. Mm-hmm. All of us. Exactly. It was unfair. It was unjust. But you need to move on because it works. It works for everyone. You need to know what is your lesson from this injustice. What did you? When did you learn? Uh, how to move forward? Exactly. If you stayed in one place, 
you are her, you're becoming the villain to yourself <laughs> exactly and it's your job nobody else's it's, job yes no one is going to be the hero for you exactly. you need to be the hero you start by being that someone who's went through something and is actually a victim but if you stayed in this victim mindset you become the villain who hurt themselves exactly right? and mm -hmm. then you become the villain who who's hurting others because guess what when you're not happy with what's happening in your life you're going to be jealous You are not going to like to the good things that happen to people around you, right? And you're going mm -hmm. to dwell in that mind, victim mindset that is just going to make you more mm -hmm. evil, like villain and like evil person, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it will happen. It will happen no matter how good you are. If you stay in that in that mindset, you you're go, you're going to go there. So you better pick yourself up, right? No excuses. Exactly. Pick and yourself it's up. It's easy. You just need a support system. I'm not saying. I'm not saying Sarah and I, we're not saying you're going to do this by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. No, of course. No. Call your friend, complain as much as you can. But after you complain, you go do your job. It's, that's, that's, it's, uh, the thing is, it's, it's really easy to trap yourself in that victim mindset. And, mm -hmm. that's, uh, and we've all been there. Like being yeah. honest, one of the most important things is like becoming honest with yourself before becoming honest to other people. Is yes. that a, a very... At this time that I'm, t I'm speaking right now, um, I mean, in the couple months, I was, I was really uh, freaking out of the point that I got married. Um, I'm having new responsibilities. I was giving drama to myself and to my husband, and yeah. I told him that I was, I was telling him that. Uh, things are going just not the way I wanted in my head. It's like moving. I want to start working. And, and I felt that I was not productive. And then he told me, he was like, you are productive. You are right now. You are responsible of a new house. You're responsible. This is doing something before you start your own career again. But this yeah. is doing something because our mind, when you victimize yourself, your mind tells you that you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. You try to find excuses. Mm -hmm. You try to look like you're the victim in the community. And mm -hmm. it's so easy to become a victim. So yeah. what happened is that that's one of the things is like when he was easing it to me, it really helped me. When you mm -hmm. have somebody who's a support system and they understand what you're going through, then give them the chance, of course, to, to, to give you that, I mean, that support. calming uh, mm -hmm. thing. But at the same time, Don't make that push you into your comfort zone more further. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Take that word, take those sweet words and get out of that comfort zone. Because the minute you suck your feet in the comfort zone, I mean, you're going to save us at least 10 years. I'm telling you. It's really easy. I was, I was, yeah. I was in a time where I'm, I'm becoming honest. I was a time where I spent more than two years in my comfort zone mm -hmm. and my personality has changed. I've, I, I hate, I hated a lot of things. I mm -hmm. was, um, I wasn't diagnosed officially, but I knew that I was, I was suffering from depression. depression yeah. And, and you know, that in, in Sudan, it's really, it, it's one of the things that I'm not really proud of, but let's say it's one of the facts. It's that People don't want you to go and seek for uh, help when it comes mm -hmm. to mental health. Because yes. the minute you go and ask for that type of help, then you're crazy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, there's no other label other than crazy, exactly. guys. Back there, there's no depression. There's no anxiety. There's no panic. It's just crazy. You're you crazy. got the diagnosis. That's it. You're crazy.
And if you're and if you're, you're really feeling bad, it yeah. means you're not reading Quran or you're not doing salah, mm. which is not mm. which is not the truth. So when I felt that, I was like, I'm the only person who can take me out of that zone. Yes. Yes. So it's it yes. starts with it starts with pulling yourself out of the victim as a mentality. Then it starts where you see yourself now and where you want to see yourself then. And mm-hmm. are you doing the right steps for that? Mm. Mm. So becoming yes. honest with yourself is so important. Yes, I applaud that because um, you could not move forward without realizing what is within you exactly. and actually confessing it exactly. to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because if, and this is what happens in the victim mindset. And I'm not saying those be- the people, and I was in a victim mindset. <laughs> Many, and, and you have to understand it's, it's a... It's intervals, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you, you made it, you're out there and then you go back to the victim mindset. But this time when you go back, you're aware of it. Mm-hmm. You're aware I'm doing this to myself. No, no, I need to pick myself up, come, 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 mm-hmm. come up. Right. And you mm-hmm. seek your, 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 uh, support system or whatever you do. It doesn't have to be people. It could be like a run in the morning or you journaling or you meditating or praying or like, of course, praying and, and Quran for us are the first thing, uh, to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you need to understand that it's a process, right? And I know you, Sarah. I know that I don't think there's a a time where I wasn't proud of your productivity and of who you are. Like, you've always been doing so much. So taking a break for a year or two, I don't think I know how you feel because I have the same feeling because... After my transplant, or like even before the transplant, I couldn't do my masters and stuff, and I was feeling ashamed of myself. You know, I was I was in that uh, I was guilt tripping myself and in victim mode that my body has betrayed me, right? Mm-hmm. But the truth is, the truth is, I was hooked to a machine to do dialysis. Who's gonna Who's gonna do master? I mean, some people will and have the the strength to do it. It was not me. Okay, so at some point I needed to like to understand this is a, a phase in my life where where my priority and my productivity has to go to my health. Exactly. Has to go to me resting and maybe maybe I can read some books. Maybe and I kid you not, it was after ten years of work that I got mm-hmm. that break. So instead of like well like crying <laughs> on what's happening right now. I I I I decided to pat myself on the shoulder for the last ten years of work, to 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 spend time with my family, to do the things that are supportive for me for the moment. So, that being said, and I feel like uh, of course different things. <laughs> you got married. It's like enjoying the married life and the transition because you moved from one country to another. So there's this transition of knowing where you are, navigating your place, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Navigating the opportunities around you and getting to know your husband as, as a husband, not as a fiance. Like there's this relationship that is building, right? And maybe mm-hmm. that was God's plan, what you said before, to um, to sit at home and know each other, right? And, and to have this, I feel like, I don't know, of course I'm not married, but at the beginning of the of the relationship, the first year or so, um, you you got you kind of like trying to know each other and build a system mm-hmm. together, right? Maybe it was easier for you that you're not working. Mm-hmm. You built that system, and maybe your your husband saw that and you didn't see it because your brain 
um, thinking, I need a job, I need to, and you, of course, you yeah. see everyone around you having a job as successful, and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? Exactly. I, know how you, I know how you felt, because <laughs> it's feeling the same. <laughs> everyone was getting jobs and going into masters, and here I am, hooked to a machine. It was hard, right? <laughs> but But it was necessary. And I feel like this is what happened to you. I loved how you touched on on mental health here. And something that is um, associated with Islam, too, going back into the theme of Islam, is that you are told um, you are told that you're not Muslim enough again. People <laughs> people giving you those labels just because I feel like what something I used to tell people is. So if someone is diabetic, you're going to go and ask them to pray to rakat and not take their insulin? Which is would, just... you do, would you do the same? Because let's face it, depression has biological marks in of your course. body. And it, mm-hmm. it has some hormonal imbalance as well. One of the, one of the uh, pathway, pathways, of HBA, one of the pathways is biological one for depression exactly. and anxiety, for each mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's a spectrum and, and there's ways before you hit on medication, there is like a lot of a lot of uh, CPT, a lot of therapy goes before you go into any medication. Like you, you could just have like it also severity. It's, it's a huge topic, right? And mental health is health. It's of not course. something different. Mm-hmm. It, it is, is health. Right, and it, it, like it has its own science and and degrees, and people need to respect it more in Sudan and in the Middle it East. Affects in other, it affects other it affects in other diseases. I mean, the mental health itself mm-hmm. it could it can make all your body shut down. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it it's not can not it can make it does make you know if if you are you have a depressive episode, not eating, not taking care of yourself, this could uh, goes into biological diseases, so it exactly. needs to be addressed as soon as possible, and it's not someone being spoiled no it's that's not. not how it works I mean, I wish, but it's not the truth, you guys, so we we need more talk about this. Mm-hmm. maybe you and I can go on a live or something because like this is a huge topic, so okay, I'm gonna restate your movie again right so okay so you in saudi arabia after you moved from united kingdom and you had this um at night wake up to watch and you felt like and i feel i feel like this is a moment of enlightenment right because i too had this like i need to do something but i wasn't sure what it is right and usually the thing that you need to do is right in front of your face but you go into this Amazing finding it, but it's like here. <laughs> Open your eyes. So um you go into this and you're watching all these shows, and then I feel like your movie would go from you watching, let's say you watched um um it start with Grey's Anatomy and everything, and maybe it goes from this hospital to 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 the hospital you were born in Saudi Arabia and then taken to United Kingdom and your life there. And I feel like a crucial moment is when your teacher asked your principal, you said, ask yeah. for a, um, for a Islam, Islam, Muslim teacher to teach you Islam. I cannot get over this moment. You know, it's such a crucial moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment of, of, I'm sure, no problem. So it's a beautiful, beautiful moment of having this, person realizing the importance of you getting in touch with your religion means that you can find identity within it 
because religion exactly. is not just a, it's an identity and when you grab when you're robbed from it something within you um is robbed as well because it's, it's where your parents are coming from it's where you are coming from and those things have biological markers and on our genetics and they're important of course and then I feel like after that, especially after the Islam, uh, the teachers teaching you Islam, you can go to Saudi uh, time where you went and you and you had to wear abaya, and your mom explaining to you the differences in 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 hijab and abaya, and the differences in Islam and the ayat in Quran for hijab as well. I feel like this is also a crucial um, scene mm. to to uh, to show people how parents of of kids who were raised and born abroad, uh, work so hard, you know, course, really and your mom is such a hard worker, but, at, but I bet you, I bet you when you didn't speak Arabic somewhere, someone blamed your mom. I bet you. Of course. You know? Of course. They said like, this is the role of the parents. Why didn't they teach? They didn't speak yeah. to them Arabic. No, it doesn't work that way because the influence is sometimes more in school. More than you what know, happens in at home, right? And then you go from there to your t teachers and what is happening in, 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 um, in schools in Saudi. And of course, there is a different relationship between you and the teachers and you kind of have some sort of support system from the friends in Saudi because they were fascinated by you. The fascination, yeah. the fascination of the new students from England who didn't have to wear a bayah. Yeah. Yeah. Who spoke the perfect English they probably heard about in, in movies. Right. But you had it, you naturally sure. had it. Right. And then you probably navigate here, um, the relationship with friends and everything. Then you move like on vacation in Sudan, the summer mm -hmm. ones. And then until we met in 2009. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that. I mean, <laughs> Me too. I'm so lucky. Me too. I remember, by the way, can I mention your, uh, nickname? <laughs> go ahead okay so i never call sarah sarah i always say her nickname was tj when we went to school and it went from tj to tt <laughs> all types all types of nicknames all types of nicknames but i had her in, i have her in my phone as tj Mm -hmm. Right, and I, I, you know, when people say Sarah, I'm, when people ask me, "Oh, how do you know Sarah?" And I'm like, Who, "Who's who's Sarah? Who's Sarah?" Right? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> a lot of people didn't know my real name. Yeah, a lot of people. Right, mm -hmm. it was always TJ, and I think my my sister Shad also doesn't know your name. She's it's like I, I, it's, all, it's always been TJ, and I, I also my brother when I said, "Yeah, I was talking to Sarah," he's like, "Who's Sarah?" I was like, "TJ." I was like, "Ah, <laughs> <laughs> TJ." Oh, okay. <laughs> And I knew your name. I miss that nickname. I truly miss that nickname because yeah. it had an amazing time. At yeah, yeah. it was an amazing time. <laughs> I, I didn't finish university there, but I did gain a lot of friends and experiences going to that university. Like it, it taught me a lot, and I met you, of course. Oh, and uh, TJ was like one of the most. I felt like you were always an activist for something. She knew so many people. She's such a social person. And like everyone knows who she is. And, you know, and I'm like, so, like, so who's she? All the time I was thinking, who's this girl? Who's this girl? But, and, you know, she has this image. And then when, when you, go, you get to meet her and you, you became acquaintance and then some friends, it becomes like a, a usual thing part of your life. Oh, that's mm -hmm. TT, that's TT. And it was really a good time. Like, as, as I mentioned to you before, uh, I always thought you'd, you, you'd think differently. Yeah. And even before moving to Canada, you had that personality where you don't want to be okay with everything. You want to mm -hmm. understand what's going on 
I mean, around you. And that's very healthy. That's, that, that's one of the things I really loved about you. And I, that's why you're not just one of my greatest friends, but I love people with brains. I love people who have had, I mean, had their shoulders. So mm. you are one of those people that I'm very, very proud of. Thank you. It means a lot because as I said a lot in this, uh, in this uh, podcast, it's when you move against the current, uh, you, you have a lot of difficulties and people don't understand that it's not, people think that you just want to be different, right? Because mm -hmm. different people are amazing. But the thing is, I've always been different. <laughs> I've always been different because of where I came from and everything that happened in my life, right? Of course. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to fit in, but I had a problem of not being able to follow the crowd if I don't understand where the crowd is heading and why they're heading where they're heading. Exactly. Right? So for me... All those question marks. All those question marks, if, if, if they're not answered, if things don't make sense to me, I just basically, I don't follow them, right? Yeah. And it is, it is hard. It is hard when you live in a collective society. Sudan mm -hmm. is a collective society where things are traditionally and, and culturally made in a certain way. And when you question them, it's, it's hard to, to live um, in harmony with the community, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, again, you're called uncultured and your life becomes hard, right? One of the things that I remember when I was in university, it, it, when we met, is that I did not want to live with any relative of my parents who lived in, in, in the city that we had the, like we were in the capital city, Khartoum. Well, basically the, the city was Omdurman where we went to school mm -hmm. and I didn't want to live with any relative. I want to have my own place. Your own place. Yes. And I rented from people, from a family and a room. Yeah. I was still living in a family house, but it was confusing to people that since I'm paying and I'm living in a family house, why can't I just not pay and live with someone who is close? Live with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why can't we just live with them? Uh, they didn't understand my mindset and, you know, and my dad was frustrated because I wasn't following that base. It was like, um, it was like a given rule some for any girl who comes to live in a, in a different city to live with her relatives. Of course. Mm -hmm. Or like in a dorm for girls or like uh, the, those who don't live with the relatives, that means they don't have relatives. And of I course. have lots of them. Lots, lots of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so these were one of the things that, um, the rules that I broke, I guess, um, for my peace of mind. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to explain that one. <laughs> and you don't have to explain that. No explanation no. needed to no one. Yeah. Okay. What were things that, what was happening during your, um, you went to school for business management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How was life then? I remember things, but do you want to touch on some highlights on that area, like that era? Well, um, when, when we were in the university, I remember I had a lot of activities and the, <clears throat> And our school actually, although it had a lot of strict things, but our school did was a was a, a playground where you could apply your skills. That's yes. that's one of the good stuff about mm -hmm. our university. Uh, but uh, also, I was thinking that everyone had expectations for you. Mm. University had expectations, your family, everything, and everyone, mm. all the society. 
But the only thing, I, and I was okay with that in a way or another, but the only thing that I didn't, I didn't cope up with is like, I'm not, a, I'm not going to become just a random business student at this university. And I'm not going to become just a student who gonna, who's going to graduate. I don't want to become a copy of everyone else. Hmm. because they, that's that that's why i i started to become very active and i even went to pu- to uh public speaking i went to spoken words hmm. uh even there was a time where i started music and I remember remember that. <laughs> it's good performance good performances yeah, yeah. Oh, missed miss the old days <laughs> um because i felt i was becoming someone that i was not hmm. and i was becoming copies of people who i think they wanted us to become like mm. even the community and and it happens till this day when we go social media everyone wants to wants you to become this certain person because that person has a lot of followers mm-hmm. this person um is i mean they look a certain way they're um they're for example and this 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 really um i i think this happens in a lot of countries but um a specific skin tone if mm. you are i mean bright white girl out there in the social media then basically have a lot of followers and every every single girl wants to become that so for me in university i was like i'm going to study but i'm not going to become a random graduate mm. Mm. and i did face a lot of problems in school as well i had problems with um with some grades that my my father thought that maybe I was doing a lot of activities and not really focusing on my studies. But then that was not the thing. Um, everyone around me was expecting me to come and rank the first in university just because I was raised in the UK. Mm. And at the same time, she knows English very well. The third thing is like, oh, she's popular in the university. But then I don't want to. Exp- I didn't want to expect people's, and ex- I didn't want to like adapt to people's exp- expectations and needs because that was not me. So mm. then I searched. I was like, who am I? Mm. And then that was the minute I knew that. Remember in the in the beginning when I told you it's Grey's Anatomy, NCIS, and Suits. The things that link between them is helping people who need the help. Yeah. For Grey's Anatomy, it's the patient. Mm. For NCIS, it's that person who died who wants somebody to be to, to give them the, the justice that they need. And for mm. the suit, it's people who are innocent that need people to be the voice for them. So it's like being there for people. So then that's the minute where I cited my organization and and it was helping women. And at the same time, it was helping women who want to help themselves. It's not that mm. I'm going to be the magic stick. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be there for you, not to become a copy of anyone else, becoming you, starting mm-hmm. to do the greatness. And greatness is mm-hmm. not about, it's not just because I graduated from a school that helps you apply your skills. Some people did not even receive a formal education, but they're great people. Mm-hmm. And some people have great English, but not the, they're not doing anything. It's not about the language. It's not about, it's about mm-hmm. who you are and what you want to do. So that's the middle when everyone thought that, okay, she's becoming um, a spoken word artist or as we can call a rapper and she's going to be this and that. And I'm like, wait, wait, I still didn't show you the real me mm-hmm. because I'm not a copy. I'm not a version to what you have on your mind. Mm-hmm. I'm just becoming the better version of me. Mm-hmm. 
So this is this is every, like I always say to people, you create your own pattern of success. Like let's say that me and you went to this store, let's say to Carpenter, and we wanted to buy carpets. You could go for carpets that are that have a pattern of flowers, mm-hmm. and I could go to carpets that has, for example, um, other random shapes. We don't have to have we don't have to like the same ones, but. Both of us, we're going to buy some carpets and go back home. This mm-hmm. is the thing is that if you try to illustrate those those patterns that are in the carpet, let's say a triangle, a circle, a square, a flower, and a star, what your pattern is is different than my pattern because let's say that the triangle are the opportunities that you have in life. Let's say the circle are the challenges that you have in life. Let's say that the flowers, for example, are the struggles that you faced. My pattern would never, I, that would never be the same as yours. Mm-hmm. So when you create your own pattern, because you're the only person who knows your strength, you're the only person who sees the opportunities. Maybe you have opportunities in life. I don't have them. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, things are easy for you, not like me. Maybe mm-hmm. um, I, you faced a lot of struggles. I didn't face a lot of struggles, but I also you have better opportunities. So mm-hmm. everyone understands themselves and if you don't want to become a copy then you have to create your own pattern of success and no it's like a dna mm-hmm. it's just yours it's i mean say fingerprints but yes. yeah yeah so for you to have a pattern stop becoming a copy of everyone else it's not i mean this is what i see in, in i remember in sudan there was a year where everyone was a photographer I right? And then that. the next year, everyone was a beauty, I mean, a beauty expert. Everyone was doing makeup. There's no problem of, of doing that. I respect and I wish everyone reaches what they Success, want. But, yeah. but not just not because everyone is doing it, then you have to do it. You, you can become the next person that everyone follows. Yeah. But you don't have to be that copy because mm. even Sudan or even the region or even the continent or even the world, they don't need a lot of copies of the same person. They mm-hmm. need different people. You need to bring something different to the table. But if you're bringing the same item, your plate won't be something to serve and nobody would want to even taste your plate because basically you're the same copy they've been taking from the day one. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what that in, in uni, when I became a business student, everyone in my family, I mean, they extended, not my, like my mom and my dad, they supported us, um, throughout the day and my dad's a surgeon my mom's a teacher but we have we're not the same in the house like we have a pilot in the house we have a business student in the house we have an engineer we didn't have to become surgeons like my dad just to meet everyone's expectations and because i'm the eldest everyone was like you have to become a doctor mm-hmm. i i love my dad becoming a doctor i love doctors most of my friends are doctors yeah but does that mean that i have to become a doctor mm-hmm. no please no the, yes, but uh, I mean, the expectations. That has enough doctors. Exactly. And mm-hmm. the expectations is like you have to either become a doctor or engineer mm. to become successful. Yeah. So or I had lawyer. to change that. <laughs> I had to change yeah. that, even if it wasn't going to change in one year, two years, or five years from now. But it's I a have process. To change yeah. That, that, yeah, it takes a process. Is that you create your pattern of success, whether people like it or not, it's not people's lives, it's yours. You have the greatness in you. But that mm. starts with you. Mm. So that's that's one of the things that I really, really wish everyone puts on mind is that you're the only one responsible of creating your success. 
Mm. Even if you have zero opportunities, you create them. You don't wait for them because it doesn't come. I like when you, uh, I agree. I like when you made the organization, it was not, I'm going to be, um, your support. I'm not going to be kind of like someone who pulls you up. It's about you making it for yourself, for the women. It's changing the narrative of the victim to a survivor. Exactly. Someone who, um, I don't even love the word survivor a lot, but it's, it's, it's a better way of looking at it because women in Sudan face lots and lots of challenges. We're not going to deny that, mm-hmm. right? Of course. We do face a lot of challenges and you and I are the privileged one. Of course, we're going to um, acknowledge that, right? We of are course. privileged in so many ways. We're privileged, so privileged with, with opportunities, with education, with, you know, a language. A lot, we have a lot of privilege. We are acknowledging this, and because we have, and because you and I love this, I love that. What what happened here? You said the the um, you didn't stick to one um, to the picture everyone wanted you to see, right? Yes. You realized, mm-hmm. and I love that is happening to you, and this is it connected all for someone who uh, travels a lot and went through all of what you went through. The most amazing advantage is that at a young age, you realize to question everything and work hard. For, and because you faced a lot of challenges to fit in, to the, and because you, had, you have seen many things that are different. And that's why traveling is important. When you see mm-hmm. a lot of versions of the same thing, you realize that you don't have to live in one narrative. You realize the options you have in your life and you seek them. You realize that you don't ha- you have many options that you can fulfill. It doesn't have to be one path, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I love that you have seen this at such a young age. Uh, the connection between your travels and your first scene when you saw those uh, shows when you a little bit grew up, and I believe that age was in your 20s, 21. Like, I, I know I left university when I was 21, uh, 20 something. 21, yeah, when I left to come to yeah. Canada. So, did you, you make the organization around this time or later? Yes, I was. Yes, it was around that time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so, that is such a young age for you to realize ah, that day it was the helping people is the connection. Mm-hmm. And instead of sticking to a picture of a doctor or a lawyer uh, or a, a detective, I, I don't remember who the last second, third person was, you yes, decided yes. to make a new version of helping. Mm-hmm. And that help, uh, the thing is, you did not see the people who needed help as as victims or are no. as are, as because someone who offers help sometimes comes from a a from a i don't know superior uh mm-hmm. look like i'm gonna help you no i'm gonna help you yeah. yeah i'm gonna help you didn't you didn't say that you saw the people that you're helping as people with identities who are capable of making themselves to help way better, yeah way better than you are you didn't look at them saying they're helpless because they don't have education they're helpless because they lived in certain places right yeah. because you know, because we all like I see people saying, "Oh, because this woman doesn't have education, she can't and can't." Well, she doesn't have education, but I bet you she has so many skills that exactly. made her survive till you see her. Of mm-hmm. <laughs> and any hardship 
any hardship brings you so many skills, right? If you, if you decided to look at it that way, and I, and there's an ayah in Quran that says, "Inna ma'a l'usri yusra." And with with hardships comes ease. Uh, all the ease. Mm-hmm. All the ease. So. What I love here is not after the hardship. It is with the hardship. With the hardship. Itself. It is the same time the hardship is happening. There's something there. There's something exactly. there. And that something might be the skill you learned. It mm-hmm. might be the, the, the things within yourself. Like, you know, when, when, I, um, when I had the, the kidney failure, I realized that I, the path I was walking in was wrong. And I was wronging myself. Right, I and I realize great now, and your health is in a better condition than that, that means the world. Thank you so much, Sarah. So it was it was realizing the the harm I was doing for myself, and that I was telling myself, "What? What are you seeking? Is it success? You're already successful. What are you seeking? Right? It mm-hmm. was realizing the priorities in life in my life is me. It's you, it's of not, course. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not becoming something. It is me. I it am the something, the right? Mm-hmm. Everything else is something I created for myself, but I'm already yeah. there, right? You're so, already there. So that's a huge hardship that came with it, the ease of finding myself and what I want and mm-hmm. started writing a lot of things. A lot of things changed in my life, of course, right? And I was so grateful. Uh, and I see this as an opportunity, a blessing in disguise. You know, if you watch the first episode of this uh uh, podcast with Anna, you will figure out what I was talking about, what I'm talking about right now. So I love, I love that. I love that you didn't, you didn't, st- you didn't steal the narrative from those women. You gave it to them to narrate, uh, like attaching this with the narrative. It's important to be. It to, if you really want to help, it's so different. If like if you want to use people or you want to help people. Mm-hmm. If you want to use people, then that's something different. But if you want to help people, you don't want the highlight or the spotlight to be on you. Mm. You want no, other people, no. yeah, to, to see things the same way you saw it. Yeah. Leaderships don't think of leading as a as a status. They think of as a, of it as a responsibility. It that is. It is a responsibility, a huge one. And most mm-hmm. leaders don't want to lead, but they are born to lead. Right, okay. so they they just do it, <laughs> and you are one of <laughs> you are one and of you them, are, and you are as well. I mean, uh, being honest, um, having this podcast, I mean, this move from you, it's 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 very important. It's it's very productive, and um, I mean, hats off for you. I'm really proud of what yeah. you're doing right now because you. you I mean, getting to to hear a lot of stories from other people and what their life looks like, not just helps you. It helps everyone around mm-hmm. us. It helps if one if one person shared mm-hmm. the video, other people could learn stuff that you may not even think that could reach to. So yes. what you're doing is something so big, yeah. And thank you, thank you so much for you. <laughs> thank you. I want to touch on the fact that you had this leadership uh, organization. And unfortunately, now we have war in Sudan. How does that oh. work for you? Like, uh, what did you do before? And what what are you, I'm not going to say what are you doing now, but how, what is? what are the dynamics? And what do you think? Um, I don't know if there's anything. I know we're all trying to help, right? But how does this feel as someone who had this organization based in Sudan and now um, 
everyone is kind of an elopement situation with the mm. war in Sudan. And, you know, if you want to enlighten us on that. Well, mine happened way before the war. It was um, when the revolution started because basically me as, become, uh, as the solo owner of the organization, I faced a lot of uh, problems with the government. Um, mm. Let's say that uh, because we all know what type of government Sudan used to have for the last I mean, 30 plus years. Mm. So one of the things is that I was not allowed to become a solo ownership. There had to be someone from that government sharing with me all the thoughts. And I had to get permissions to make an event. And that permissions um, stated that I should um, sugarcoat things and make the government, of course, look so good. And and for me... Um, a lot of my a lot of my friends or the women that I help in organization they believe that every word I say comes from my heart they don't come out from what other people have to say and not what the government has to say because I don't want to lose that trust, trust. Yeah. and 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 I, with the full integrity you can't use the women that I help mm. because basically I'm I'm trying to clean up some dirt that you're doing yeah so if I'm doing that, mm. um, I faced that I was eliminated. I faced a lot of problems. I remember I used to have scheduled events and at the same day I get canceled. Mm. So what happened is that I had to work online with mm. those. And also I had to, uh, I had to work uh, sometimes outside of, outside of Khartoum. Mm. And, and I remember when things got really bad in Sudan, uh, mm -hmm. I, I moved to help women who are not Sudanese, who are from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Because I felt that at the minute, I don't want to stay with my hand folded. I wanted to help people. And mm -hmm. that help does mean that I have to be adapt to the change that I'm facing. Because that time I went back to my family in Saudi Arabia. So I didn't know what to do. Sudan was going through a lot of, um, I mean, critical conditions at that time. Um, I wasn't being able to really have my activities. So what happened is that you always find a way. Mm. And that way is that you could reach people online, you could reach people in other stuff. I mean, you, you can find a way. It's not really hard to find a way. It's, yeah. it's critical and it's not easy, of course. Mm. But if you're entitled, entitled to do something, then you got to find it because this is the challenge. I mean, uh, everything may be easy, but then becoming a leader also means trying to find a way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the war didn't really affect me that much according to my organization, but of course it affected the fact that, um, I feel so bad for not just the women, of course, but because I, I work in, in a women thing, it's that I feel so bad for, women who started doing their projects, women who started uh, to have their entrepreneurship projects, they just can't do things no. the same way they want to. Mm. And that's really, that's, that's heartbreaking. And I feel that if I could help, mm. I would help. Like this till this minute, if I could help anyone, even if they're not in Sudan, mm. being honest, it's just the whole thing. If, if anyone needs help, because I needed help, too, at some time, until this minute, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, talking to you right now gave me, like, 
the help that I also need because you're a friend of mine. You know my path. You understand me. You're you're one of the the people that I feel so comfortable speaking to. Mm. So sometimes helping people, you don't. We don't have to be we'd be in Sudan, but just to be there. Mm. Sometimes just so, listening to someone. Yeah, and so, uh, so I'm trying to do the least. I know I'm not doing that much like I used to do before, and I'm taking a little bit of a break, but that's okay. I think mm-hmm, I needed the break. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Like at yeah. the end of the day, something I just spoke about in the last in the, in yeah. the episode that was last week is that you won't be able to help unless you help yourself first. Exactly. And you prioritize mm-hmm. yourself, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that, you know, women are women everywhere and you can help them everywhere. They don't have to be Sudanese, of course. Exactly. Um, but I just know that um, from from what I know, what you say, like women who have their small projects and starting their small businesses is not something they're capable of doing right now. And those women mm-hmm. were supporting their families, right? Sometimes from my experience, all you have to do sometimes is send money or call someone, right? Or check on mm-hmm. someone or like providing information where to go to, where to access uh, uh, help um, organizations, you know? Uh, help is help, whatever it is, and I think you're doing you're doing your best. Uh, over, Thank I'm so proud of you, right? Yeah. Um, for me, uh, helping women is is something I I stand for, right? And I, yeah. and what you said about the podcast, what I was thinking about is, um, even even if one video about someone talking about a story, something they went through, reach someone else who's going through the same, they would know they're not alone. Because exactly. I remember, yes, I remember times when I was in Sudan or I was here as an, a newcomer and an immigrant, right? I just felt so alone in my experience and, and, sure. and you know, and I wanted to seek help, right? But I didn't know where to go. And mm-hmm. if, probably if I saw real uh, on Instagram or on Facebook of someone talking about something similar to me, even though if I don't know them, you're not may- alone. Yes, I'm not alone. It makes me like, okay, this is something people are going through. You're not weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's okay being weird, but you're not alone, basically. You're, you're not, not alone. You're not something else. Someone else is going through this, so you're not alone going through this in this big, big world, right? Mm-hmm. It, it feel like you belong. You know, there's no that loneliness in, in a problem, uh, and there's the community too, right? Because it's really important. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I. Um, I'm not going to say that's the main purpose. The main purpose was a little bit selfish because I wanted to write a screenplay and I was like, those people are the characters. Yeah, I'm just going to invite them and listen to their stories. So so eventually it it, it turned out to something else. And this is what what you and I were talking about before we started this is this when you have an idea, you start doing it because you don't know where it's going to take you. It's going to be exhausted, messy and all over the place. And you're going to learn a lot of things, but it's going to take you places. And this is very Mm -hmm. important. Right. And it will um, open new perspectives in your brain. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and you're doing great. You're doing absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, I'm not gonna recap because I felt like I recapped already. So, much. but um, <laughs> what do you think so far from your experiences, uh, your travels, making a, uh, like a starting, launching the organization? You know, your recent marriage and your life so far. What is uh, a theme? in those travels and experiences in your life that you find um, happening or underlining all the events in your life? Um, the theme would be an adventurous movie. 
because I'm a person. One of the one of the bad things about me, being honest, is that I'm. It's like I get freaked out、mm. when there's a change occurring in my life.、Mm. And as much as I get freaked out, I adapt very well. But that that moment when I'm freaked out and I'm like, no, 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 I miss I miss something from the the previous page or the previous scene.、Mm-hmm. That happens to me a lot.、Mm-hmm. So I think of I think of more more of it as an adventure、mm-hmm. because you're you're taking away things from the previous scenes to、mm-hmm. your new scene. Mm. Because if if you're trying to forget what you have in your past or you have in your previous scene, then basically you're not creating that movie of yourself or movie of your life.、Mm. You, you're the character here, and this、mm-hmm. character, the, when the character reaches the final episode,、mm. they're so different when the when the movie started.、Mm. Yes. So that happens when you take these what the scenes. So that's an、yeah. adventure for me. So my life, I think I see my life as an adventure. Actually,、mm. I think、yes. that's. The theme is an, an adventure.、Mm-hmm. I like this.、Um, something you said that I want to touch on right now is that you said you freaked out. You freak out when the change happens at the moment of the change, but then you adapt easily.、Mm-hmm. And I want to say, as、uh, when people are listening to this, they're going probably in their mind will say, "Is how come someone who went through so many changes in places they freak out with change?" and I know because this happens to me. It's some sort of a, a, a very zero point zero zero one PTSD trauma response. Because、oh. <laughs> every time you go into a new place, you face challenges.、Um, it's like going over the same thing over and over、mm. again because you meet new people and you know those people how they're gonna judge you,、mm-hmm. and you're like, ah,、oh, here we go again. You have that, and I think it's your fight or flight response. And then you calm down by knowing that you have done this before, you have adapted before, you you know. And also, like as much as we try not to judge, after、mm-hmm. being judged a lot, we still end up. <laughs> We're not. It's so hard not. Yeah, it's so hard not to judge.、Um, you know, it's so hard not to judge, but we do our best, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, of course. Do you agree with this analysis? No, no, no. I, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think that what we're facing, because、uh, me and you, we certainly have a, a very similar upbringing, is that it's. Not, I don't think it could be hundred percent. I think your percentage that you put on is right.、Uh, the, the, the getting freaking out of the change is because sometimes we are attached to what we have now. So、mm-hmm. when we have to let go. Mm. Then that's hard because、yeah. um, our personality is that we love our things, we love our stuff, we love what we have. So now life puts you in a position where you have to let go. Like when I got married,、um, I'm I, like the person I was I, I'm married to is he was my best friend, and then before anything started, this person is 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 if I was if I was gonna have. A chance to pick someone else, I wouldn't have picked someone else. It was always going to be him, because Muhammad is, is. I, I can't even describe him. Of course, he's going to see this. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. No, I'm、okay, thinking why I didn't、it. ask about the love story. Now I want to ask. Okay. No, 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 no that, 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 you won't get the story. I would never say that. That's exclusive. You, people should subscribe for this. 
Yeah. We won't be out there. Nope. So, Subscribe so, to us. We'll tell you the story. Yeah. Exactly. Subscribe and then you get to know the story. So yeah. Muhammad was, um, understood me from an early age. Okay. Yeah. And, and for us, we had this great relationship and a great friendship before marriage and everything was perfect. Yeah. So the minute I got married, because I was so attached to my family. Yeah. So it was a conflict between, um, I'm coming to live with the person I, my heart toes and my mind toes, and he, he's one of the, the most phenomenal individuals, and, but I have to let go of my family. Mm. So then the freaking out came. Yeah. And, I, and, he, and he understood this. He understood that change is not easy. Mm. So when you have to let go, I think that's where we get freaked out is because we have to let go of something. Yes. And it's not that we're letting go of our family means we're moving from a family and then we don't have any connections. It's because I lived with my family and now I don't. Yeah. So I think that's where the, the thing, the things come. Mm -hmm. And after that, after the freaking out and after the moving and, and being responsible, I think I, I got freaked. I think this is an advantage because when, like when you play a game, mm. every single time you move to a game, that's mm. even more advanced. And yes. then it's really hard to, to pass the game. So mm. for me, I had a lot of struggles and, 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 and things in life, but now it's different. I'm responsible about this house. Mm. I mean, two minutes ago, I was just a kid. Mm. <laughs> and now I'm responsible of a house. I mean, how does Are that Are you sure it work? was two minutes ago? Okay. <laughs> yes, it was but two I, minutes ago. It was two minutes ago. Okay. It was too good. <laughs> yes, I'm still 22 years old. Yeah. I agree. You do look 22. <laughs> the, time, so. the time froze at 22. Yeah. Yes. So, so that, I think that's why we're, I think that's why it's really hard. So I understand mm. every word you said. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also like, I think the advantage you and I have, even though we freak out and we adapt, it happens faster. And on a mm -hmm. reader, on a, on a read that's faster than others who did not have that change in places, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's something like a lot of people are like, uh, how did you make friends this fast? Or like, how did you adapt mm -hmm. to the place? Mm -hmm. Because I have survival, uh, tools that was, uh, it became part of my personality that I'm not aware of mm -hmm. them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, some days I go into places and I, and I, I don't even want to make friends and I end yeah. up making friends because I remember like two days ago, I asked my friend, I said, oh, uh, wait, how long we've known each other for? And I met this friend um, in 2020 and she said, oh, the reason I, I touched base with you is because I was, we were in a course and she said, I was asking questions and you just gave detailed answers. <sighs> And I, I felt like I need to get to know you. And, and she was the one, you know, who messaged me and we talked and, and then we became very, very close and authentic, genuine relationship. Oh, but you know why I was giving, the, it just happened. I was giving detailed um, answers because I knew in advance how it, it feels like to do a thing for the first time. So mm. I overcompensate for people because I was in places like what happened to you when you went to, to yeah. school and the teachers did not help you. But now if you become a teacher and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a kid comes and has the same situation, I kid you not, you do everything to help for that, that teacher. You're going to do everything to help. So it, it became some sort of my nature to, to, to overcompensate for people who need help. And we needed to help. Yeah. To give, to give detailed um, answers or detailed help. I don't know how it works. It becomes something that I don't even work hard for. 
Like yeah. it's not something I think about. It just happens. So it attracted people to me, right? And then I, I started a lot of uh, like a lot, and I I keep saying to people, no, I didn't start because everyone thinks I'm such an extrovert person, and I'm like, I never started a conversation with any friend. Any yes, of my friend. They always <laughs> to the point where the skill that I don't have is starting a conversation. This is the <laughs> skill I know I don't have. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like what the help you just offer to people and all the detailed answers shows the leader that I was speaking about that you don't need the spotlight to be on you, but you want to help people. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess I I never think of myself as a leader, only a helper. You are. Currently you. are. <laughs> only a helper because I it it's because I've been in places where no one helped me and I had to pick myself up. And as something I spoke about a lot in, in one, in, I think episode seven, I think it was, um, it was that I, I always wanted an older sister because I was the older sister who did it. <laughs> I know how that feels. I yep. truly know that how that feels. I know I touched something there. <laughs> um, what would you choose as a, a name for your film the the name of the film Mm. um okay this is what i'm gonna say okay because you are an amazing uh narrator an amazing person who's out there giving people a great chance of speaking i started writing a book called uh born to lead Mm. and so the movie if the movie is directed by you, mm-hmm. then it would be a privilege for you to be, uh, it would be a privilege for me to have you, the director of Born to Lead. If it was somebody else, then no chance. But if it's you, then it's you're becoming the director. I would love to. I, uh, you know, you, you're one of those films that I actually want to write and direct, and I really hope I make it out there. Um, I, I hope I do, but I'm going to write here, Born to Lead. Yes. Right. Uh, I want to see your hands because not everyone saw a Sudanese uh, henna before. I want to show it to people. Oh. Is that possible? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's how. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, explain. Um, but I it, love it. The, the okay. I think in the the good thing about I mean new cultures is that as you said about the tea. Uh, China had the same things, the, the, the naming of the tea. And also like India, we, I mean, Sudanese, the Indian, the, 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 the Middle Eastern cultures, we all share the yeah. henna, but in different colors or different shapes. Yes, yes. So um, this is a Sudanese. And yeah. for me, I, I see a lot of girls wanting to have like a lot of um, circles shapes. and stuff, but I, I love things that are simple. Simple, yeah. It's my favorite too. It's my favorite okay. too to have it like this, uh, just on the on the fingers. <laughs> and I'm like still that. learning, by the way. I'm yeah. still, I, I still don't do it's it perfectly, but well, I still. Well, <laughs> I know where to go for when I want to learn. Then, right? <laughs> I'm still a learner. Okay. So, what is your takeaway from today's episode? Like, I know when people talk about their experiences, they somehow face things for the first time or like a moment of epiphany comes through their mm. brain. Did you have one of those moments? Well, to, um, let me tell you this. I knew that I was going to enjoy today's episode, but I didn't know it would feel like this. Like I'm telling you, mm-hmm. I feel um, like 
I feel God gave me this mm-hmm. for a reason. And having you giving me this means so much and made me even learn about myself, things that I even forgot. Like you made me bring all those memories back mm-hmm. that I forgot. And now I'm sharing this with the world. It feels so mm-hmm. different. I mm-hmm. feel born again. Mm-hmm. And born I, to I again. really want to... And I want to, I really want to thank you for this opportunity. And I want to thank you for helping other people, even if you don't know who they are, as I said, if somebody shared. So from today and this episode, I wish that if anyone, I'm, I'm saying this to, to everyone, if anyone needs to speak, you have Sabrine. I know that she's oh. going to hear and listen to every word you have. <laughs> and if you need somebody to he- listen to you without no judgments, She's here, not just because she's my friend. I'm not saying this because she's my friend. I know I know most of my friends are very helpful, but uh, Sabrina is a one of a kind, and what she's doing right now is great. And I really, really, really thank you for this, and thank mm-hmm. you for um, inspiring a lot of people around us because now in social media, there's a lot of content, but... A lot of content are really getting, is like, uh, it's not just wasting our time, but it's freezing our mindset from mm. what's, from achieving things mm. to just spend our time with nonsense. But when we use the social media to really give out back to the community, to our re- religion, to our people, to our communities, this is not something small. So, so I'm very proud of you. Thank you for this. And, and on behalf of everyone else, I'm saying this, this really means the whole world. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, oh gosh, your words, uh, I'm not going to cry, but it means a lot to me because um, for everyone, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'm not coming here as a professional podcaster, or editor, or host. I'm just here doing something I love and connecting with people. Um, and I know I know Sarah from before, but a lot of people, uh, it was my first time uh, going into conversation with. Sarah is different because we knew each other at such a level where we're sort of kids, you know, beginning of 20s mm-hmm. like that. We were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were kids. We didn't know, right? So we had a lot of ups and downs. I didn't, I didn't think we had a lot of downs, right? But still, again, it was the medium we were in, right? And then we got to know each other. We got to like chat. We got to like travel. You know, there's a lot of experience between us, right? So it's, this is a different uh, episode. And for me, first i've never i don't think there's a time in my life where since i met you you weren't like a a lead example to me right like when you look i remember when you messaged me and said wow look at you you've you have um evolved and developed yourself so much i was like yeah it's like a a check mark for me like sarah said so right so i was like wow you know uh that's how she sees me so it really helped me give me like a boost of confidence and um to be honest i i am like I'm going to say this. I am a Sudanese Canadian, but there is something within you that attracts you to your roots, right? And when you see someone and I have, you're not the first Sudanese person that I messaged to come, but you're just my best friend, right? And um, when you, like, when you shared my stuff and I was like, how did I think of Sarah as the first, literally I was blaming myself, right? So um, to have a Sudanese person here, um, it's a huge achievement for me it's mm-hmm. a, you, you have no idea i am so proud mm-hmm. i feel like in my element i feel proud that we 
you and I are Sudanese people who went through a lot um, privilege and not privilege, uh, hardship and challenges and beautiful moments, you know, relating to our religion and to our roots as well. So may Allah like protect Sudan and all its people. Uh, uh, may Allah like grant us some peace because we are tired. We've been through this since like forever, since you and I were born basically because this guy led us for over 30 years we overthrew Mm -hmm. him and it didn't end that way like if you went i don't want to like go into details right but if you googled sudan and what's happening in there people are suffering people like i myself two days ago uh heard the news that our house was destroyed and Mm -hmm. everything in the house was stolen we don't have a house right now back home Right, all the memories, everything. I I did not witness my my grandmother pass away, and at some point I wanted to go back, and I had oh, those yeah. memories and those and those things. I know there are things and there are items, and you think they don't matter, but they do. They do when they you're do. someone like me who did who didn't go back home for twelve years. Right, mm. you want to see some familiarity when you go back, and now I've lost yeah. that, and you know. It's hard. It's hard. Like, could you not? I had a day where the night I just stayed at night, traumatized, right? So, and and you you go through all of this, and I know it might sound selfish to say that. Again, there's this um, survivor guilt that we're safe here. We're not the one who were um, who had to leave their homes and reestablish and start from scratch. Yeah get displaced yes we are we didn't we're not the one who were displaced and now like at borders or like seeking refugee asylum somewhere we're the one who have a stable life somewhere else in the world not in our country mm. but uh, i think we deserve uh, some uh griefing and sadness mm-hmm. to 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 express to to you know no one wants a country that they belong to to be in such a state of course. Um, so you know among all of this to have a spark of hope with you conversation that brought us to times where things were a little bit better mm-hmm. <laughs> right we're talking about tea and relatives as much as some re- extended relatives pressured us and annoyed us <laughs> we still love them <laughs> We still still love them no matter what. And they still shaped our identity. So thank to them with all their criticizing and and loving us and forcing us to drink tea and have like sleepless nights. (laughs) Because of a cup of tea. Because of a cup of tea with some milk. Where did you ask that you can have powder milk instead of regular milk? And I'm like, what what is the difference? It doesn't help. It gets worse. <laughs> this was always the question that confused me the most. The most is like not even powder milk. It's like when when a non-Muslim says not even water. It was the same. <laughs> you guys, it was the same. Like and eventually, you're like, bring me the cup of tea. Let me just suffer at night instead of That's answering your questions. <laughs> the tea story. The tea. Okay, I see. It's the first time I knew you suffered from the same tea uh, oh, situation. I still suffer from the same story, going to people offering tea, and I'm like, Mm-mm. yeah, still the same yeah. story. I, I, I'm thinking of making a card that says, only red tea, no milk, I'm allergic to milk, stuff like that. Exactly. We just need red tea, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. 
Thank you, uh, listeners and watchers, for being here with us in this journey. I hope we give you some sort of um, hope for Sudanese people like that. I hope we'll be listening or watching and for right. others to know some of our cultures. And now, and I know we didn't go into culture a lot, but to know the, um, the journeys and what we go through um, as people who look different in your societies, either in Canada, um, United Kingdom, U.S., and um, the Gulf area, Saudi and UAE. Mm -hmm. Right. So I thank you so much. And until I see you again. Thank you.